Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Zoom and for watching us live on social media. My name is Kadir Ustun. I'm the executive director at the CETA Foundation at Washington, D.C. Today, we are hosting a panel of experts to discuss the most recent developments in Libya. Our event is titled, our event is titled Shifting Dynamics Toward a New Era in Libya? Question mark. Uh, as many of you might be following, the conflict in Libya has recently developed in a recent new direction with the retreat of General, General Haftar's forces from Tripoli and the government of National Accords recent advances towards the key city of Sirte, the dynamics on the ground appear to be shifting in favor of Libya's UN-recognized government. Um, and Turkey and the GNA recently declined an offer by Egypt, Egyptian proposed ceasefire uh, that attests to the GNA's momentum as well. Regional politics continue to um, shape the situation in Libya. Even after the retreat of mercenary groups, Russia has signaled its willingness to support Haftar's forces by relocating more combat aircraft to eastern Libya. Turkey continues to show its support for the government in Tripoli. The EU appears divided with Italy on the side of GNA, for instance while France appears to side with Haftar. As such, the ongoing conflict has implications for the Middle East and the Eastern Mediterranean. The US has largely been absent from the conflict in Libya, but the readout of a recent phone call between President Erdogan and President Trump mentioned certain agreements between the US and Turkey. So the conflict has implications for the US-Turkey relationship as well. To discuss these dynamics and what's happening in Libya, we have Dr. Muhittin Ataman. He's the director of foreign policy program at the CETA Foundation, joining us from Ankara. He's the editor of editor-in-chief of the peer-reviewed academic journal Inside Turkey. Dr. Ataman also teaches at Ankara Social Sciences University, and his research covers Turkish foreign policy, the Middle East, and the Gulf politics. He'll be commenting on Turkey's Libya policy and the Turkish support for the UN-recognized GNA government. In fact, a high-level Turkish delegation has arrived in Libya just today. So we look forward to Dr. Ataman's comments about that as well. We also have Dr. Silvia Colombo. She's the head of Italy's foreign policy program at Istituto Affari Internazionali. I don't know if I said it uh, correctly, but joining us from Rome. Um, she's a senior fellow in the Mediterranean and the Middle East program and an expert on Middle Eastern politics. She works on Euro-Mediterranean cooperation, uh, transatlantic relations in the Mediterranean, uh, transatlantic relations in the Mediterranean and domestic and regional politics in the Arab world. Dr. Colombo will be speaking to us about Italy's Libya policy, as well as that of the EU. There are some major disagreements, as I mentioned, between European countries uh, like France and Italy. So I look forward to her analysis of the intra-European policy differences as well. Um, we were supposed to have Tim Eaton of Chatham House joining us 
from London today, but he won't be able to join us due to a family emergency. So we apologize for that. Um, we will start with our panelists uh, introductory remarks, and then I'll ask a few questions before we open it to questions from our Zoom and social media audiences. If you're on Zoom, please use the Q&A feature rather than the chat box to ask your questions. We'll try to sh make sure we all answer all questions. Again, thank you all for joining us. And uh, without further ado, I want to turn to Dr. Ataman for his introductory remarks about Turkey and Turkey's Libya policy. Dr. Ataman, the floor is yours. Thank you. Okay, well, uh, Kadir, thank you very much for provide, uh, giving this opportunity to me to explain uh, the position of Turkey uh, towards Libya. Uh, I will try to focus on two uh, different points. The first one is, yes, uh, there are uh, shifting dynamics in the Libyan crisis. Uh, the turning point uh, uh, followed by, uh, after two uh, significant developments between Turkey and Libya. The first one is the signing of two memoranda uh, between Turkey and uh, the legitimate government uh, of Libya, that is the government of the National Accord, uh, on November 27 uh, of the last year. Uh, one, one of these memorandum was about the uh, delimitation of maritime jurisdictions in the Eastern Mediterranean uh, between the two countries. The second one was about cooperation in security and defense between the two countries. The second significant development uh, based on the, uh, the signed memorandum between the two actors was uh, the deployment of Turkish soldiers in Libya on January the 2nd uh, of this year uh, and the start of the Operation Volcano of Rage. Uh, so these two developments uh, forced uh, uh, the realities to change on the ground. Uh, the second thing that I want to focus on is uh, on the main objectives of Turkey. What are the main objectives, targets of Turkey in Libya? Uh, I will try to explain briefly at two different levels. The first one is at the national level. At the national level, the first objective, uh, this can be considered as three different stages at the same time. That is three main objectives and three main stages uh, of the crisis. At the first uh, stage, the main objective of Turkey was to, to protect uh, the GNA uh, and to keep it as an actor in Libya Therefore, uh, Turkey defended the capital city of Tripoli. This objective was achieved, by the way, so far as we all uh, witness. At the second stage, Turkey attempted to throw back Haftar forces and clear them from the Western sectors of the country, which they did for the last two months. I mean, from most of the Western sectors of the country and to make uh, the GNA as the main actor, if possible, the only actor uh, of, of Libya on the negotiation table uh, and to spread the authority of the GNA uh, to all over the, all over the country. Uh, especially nowadays, the main objective is in this sense uh, to control the city of Sirte, uh, Jufra, 
and the oil crescent uh, in order to be able to claim the, the, a real authority on the health of the country as at least. At the third stage, uh, the Turkish objective is to achieve uh, and protect political unity, political integration of the country. And at the same time, following this one, uh, uh, to achieve the reconstruction of the state. Uh, this is one of the main uh, targets uh, of Turkey. And I believe that today's visit is uh, exactly about this last point. That's why today's visit can be considered as the third main development uh, which uh, will create uh, which will create a change, a, a comprehensive change on the ground. So uh, when we look at the, at the regional level, we see that Turkey has two main objectives. The first one is Turkey is against the creation of fate accompli in the Eastern Mediterranean, which was created, unfortunately, by some of the regional countries led by Israel, Egypt, and Greece. So Turkey felt contained uh, uh, by this development, especially after the intervention of the Russian Federation. Uh, so uh, for Turkey, there was no other chance but to uh, break uh, the balance, to change the balance of power uh, in the region and to sign this memorandum with the Libyan government. Uh, so the second one, the second main objective of Turkey uh, is uh, to defend uh, one of the democratic fronts of the Arab Supreme. You know, at the regional level, we know that the United Arab Emirates, Egypt and Saudi Arabia has been trying to, uh, to transform the so-called Arab Supreme into the so-called Arab winter. That is to transform all democratic, I mean, fragile, we know that incomplete democratic structures into uh, hardcore despotic authoritarian regimes as they did it in Egypt. And they want uh, to do this in Libya, uh, in Tunisia, especially one of the most successful uh, cases of the Arab Supreme. So Turkey considered Libya as one of the main fronts to challenge these uh, anti-Turkish forces and their attempts of containment uh, in, in, the, in the region. Uh, and that's why Turkey wants to keep this, uh, at least uh, we know that uh, the GNA representatives were mainly elected by the Libyan people uh, you know, after the election made in 2013. Uh, and uh, as a continuation of this one, uh, by the way, Turkey wants to limit the, uh, the spread of the Russian force, uh, uh, the Russian power uh, and uh, the Russian power in the Eastern Mediterranean. As a matter of fact, uh, Turkey and as a political scientist from Turkey, I see this in the midterm and long term uh, as a bigger challenge to Europe, that is uh, NATO and the Euro European countries has to face this threat from the South. You know, when we talk about Russia, most people uh, naturally consider this as an Eastern threat. That's why NATO ha has been piling up all of its powers or most of its powers in the Central and Eastern European countries. And in the long run, I think it will be a bigger threat that is to uh, control the Eastern and uh, Central Mediterranean region. Uh, so Turkey, uh, as a NATO member, 
uh, and as uh, a country which has the largest shores in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, it feels threatened by these uh, possible developments and uh, it wants to take some preventive actions and the Libyan front is, uh, the Libyan front gives some chances, opportunities to Turkey to achieve this objective. And I will keep it uh, short and at, at this point, uh, then uh, I'm open to further questions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Ataman, for those remarks. Uh, Sylvia, we'll, we'll, we're, we want to turn to you now for your initial remarks. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you very much and good evening, good morning uh, to everyone. Uh, thank you to Sita for this kind invitation. Um, I would like to start before delving into the, uh, uh, the role of Italy and the broader role of the European Union into the um, Libyan conflict with some initial uh, few points on how I see the situation in Libya itself developing because I think it's very uh, difficult to disentangle uh, the two sides, the internal and the external. Of course, uh, it's a proxy war with many players involved. And sometimes uh, one of the risks I see is to look at Libya, uh, and this is the case for other uh, conflicts as well, uh, from uh, uh, external lenses only, uh, without paying enough attention to internal development. So we know very well, as you, as you rightly said, Kadir, uh, that uh, uh, a tremendous shift has happened uh, in the past few weeks in Libya. Uh, which is after after's defeat and we can really call it like this because uh, first of all it was not expected but it turned out to be um, a much more uh, uh, I mean a, a much more evident defeat than uh, the initial um, the, some initial portraits some initial descriptions uh, wanted to make uh, of it this defeat uh, is having and is likely to have a huge impact on the internal uh, dynamics in, in the country uh, in bo on both sides, on both camps. And uh, uh, of course, it's important to look at both of them uh, individually. First of all, um, the coalitions uh, are very fluid at the moment. Uh, the groups, the two sides are very fluid at the moment. Uh, first of all, uh, this has always been the case to some extent because Libya uh, has a very complex societal uh, political landscape, I, I would say, made of uh, uh, informal groups, tribes, uh, uh, allegiances, and so on and so forth. But uh, at this specific moment, at this specific moment in time, these alliances or uh, coalitions are even more fluid because of uh, what's happened uh, with the after's attempt to push for uh, the conquest of Tripoli. Um, of course, this restructuring of the alliances is not uh, uh, leading to uh, a clear definition uh, at the moment, so it will play out uh, with time and we don't know what uh, the consequences will be. Uh, what we see, for example, in after coalition or after side is that uh, it's really falling apart. So uh, in the east, uh, which is after a former stronghold, uh, you see really a deterioration, a, a questioning of uh, after's role. Uh, mil military role, first of all, because lots of people, lots of groups had uh, bet onto Haftars because of his military uh, power and attempted to uh, conquer by military power the whole uh, the whole country. 
country. Uh, people, some people are even questioning that this was the right approach uh, from the very beginning. And so uh, they are even uh, saying that, uh, okay, this was a huge mistake from, from the beginning and taking a distance from Haftar, particularly those that had, a, so to say, an opportunistic uh, allegiance to, to Haftar. Uh, the, those mercenaries, those uh, militaries that were brought into the conflict without a clear uh, motivation. And this also applies, for example, to some parts in the south of the country. Uh, others instead think that the, uh, Haftar uh, did the right thing uh, in waging his uh, uh, assault to Tripoli, but are starting to also to, uh, to claim uh, that, uh, um, that uh, since we have seen such a tremendous uh, shift, uh, probably Libya uh, is meant is not going to to remain one unitary country. That it's impossible for the two sides, either uh, one winning over the other, or to live together. And so there are more and more separatist or federal voices from the political level that are advancing in 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 the country, particularly in the east, which has always suffered from a sort of um, fatigue. Uh, and uh, um, kind of uh, um, conflictuality with the West also in terms of uh, the, its position in the overall Libyan uh, landscape. landscape. And so uh, after is really um, facing a difficult, a difficult moment and much of his uh, fate uh, militarily, uh, but above all politically, will really depend on how the external backers of Haftar in particular Egypt, the UAE, and Russia itself, will, uh, what kind of support uh, they will give to after. On the other side, we see an equally fluid situation, I would say, because, of course, we know, we talk about the government of national accord, but we know from the very beginning that this government and his, the leadership of uh, Serraj has never been a unified entity. Uh, there was a strong anti-after sentiment, which grew over time, particularly since last year when in April uh, the assault began. But uh, this anti-after sentiment has never translated into a pro-GNA or pro-Serraj sentiment. So even in that case, in the West, the coalition, uh, if we want to call it like this, is, is falling apart. We know uh, with Misurata and other towns that are claiming uh, also, uh, their right to be more autonomous from Tripoli uh, to some uh, to some extent. Uh, this uh, criticism uh, and anti-GNA sentiment is also uh, bred by uh, all the corruption that, uh, unfortunately, uh, has always characterized the Libyan uh, state to some extent, and uh, also a, a, a daunting crisis, an economic crisis to which the uh, Tripoli government has not been able to put uh, a, 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 to, to, to find a solution uh, to. So there is a huge problem, as we know, of local governance, uh, uh, the articulation of the structure of the state, and this has increased the economic uh, problems. Uh, Libyan society is increasingly divided on, on both sides, and this has, of course, a repercussion on uh, the role of the external players. And so coming to my, my particular focus on the EU, uh, of course, Turkey and Russia is, are now at the center stage. At the center stage and uh, their support, their role will change uh, because 
of the shifts in the coalitions in the two sides which I tried to describe because their leverage will change uh, because of the fact that the GNA on the one hand and the Hafter's camp are falling apart. But it's uh, undoubtless uh, that they call the shots. I mean, uh, Turkey and uh, Russia have been able to put their footprint into the, onto the country, onto the future of the country, and they have completely sidelined those players, external players, that uh, used to be or tried to be active player in, uh, in Libya. And of course, uh, uh, geography has a role there, and of course, uh, European countries uh, the EU uh, itself, but particularly some member states, and I'm referring to, of course, to Italy and uh, France in particular, uh, due to the geography and the historical connections to Libya, have always attempted since 2011, and uh, that's uh, kind of, uh, but even from before that, but uh, from the beginning of this uh, first round of conflict, uh, we have seen an attempt to, um, to, to, to manage kind of the situation in Libya and to acquire a, 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 a proactive role in, in, in this conflict. Uh, Italy's position is, uh, uh, is very clear uh, in the sense that uh, it's built on historical connections and uh, a, a, a level of deep knowledge we have as Italians at the policymaking level, at the intelligence level, but also at the people-to-people level among the two sides, Italian and, and Libyan. But Italy uh, alone uh, knows that it cannot do much, and so it has always tried to develop its Libya policy in the framework of the EU's policy. And so it's, again, it's not possible to disentangle the two sides. Of course, Italy has also tried to um, uh, pursue its own autonomous kind of uh, foreign policy national interest in, in the case of Libya. We have an important uh, energy, uh, interest in, this, in the form of energy uh, resources. I mean, the, uh, the role of ENI, our uh, national oil company, that is uh, even sometimes perceived as a Libyan actor, although it's actually an external actor that has a, um, an established uh, presence in the country, has never left the country. Italy is the only European country that has continued to have a, an embassy open during all the stages of the conflict. And through this embassy and through the personnel that works on Libya, both in Rome and on the ground, we have really tried to, to cultivate this very direct relation. Uh, of course, this has been perceived as too much by some, um, some of our uh, European partners, and we have found ourselves very, in a very open disagreement and conflict with France in particular, because of two different understandings of the situation, uh, out as a result of the political culture, first of all, of the two countries, of the two intelligence services, and all the policymaking board, both in, in um, Paris and, and in Rome. Italy made, from the very beginning, a, a quite a, a direct uh, and open uh, choice of supporting the GNA, the Government of National Accord, which is internationally recognized, and has tried to push uh, in the direction of reinforcing and strengthening this government in the framework of the European Union's uh, policies towards Libya, which in, its, in their turn are based on what the UN does, because in terms of the political action, diplomatic action, and support to the negotiation, the EU itself has not played a direct role. It all builds its uh, role, so to say, onto what the UN does. So the political dialogue and the negotiation that was until 
the enter into uh, into into the picture of uh, Turkey and Russia as the main um, kind of uh, mediating uh, uh, player uh, on uh, in the case of uh, the Libyan conflict. So Italy is building has made this choice. Uh, France, on the other hand, as we know very well, uh, has chosen uh, to support uh, the other side, uh, both uh, formally and informally, in the sense that uh, uh, it, it has, there are many instances through in which France over the years has claimed to, uh, to support and to be kind of in line with the broader European position in favor of which is in favor of the GNA, but we know that uh, behind the doors and uh, not so uh, not so behind, <laughs> quite openly, uh, actually uh, France has pursued uh, the policy uh, that has tried to prop up uh, Haftar and uh, his uh, his side. Of course, uh, this has intertwined with uh, uh, some very um, problematic, I would say, uh, intra-European uh, dynamics uh, of competition and conflict. Uh, uh, against the backdrop of uh, a, a foreign and security policy of the EU, which is still not uh, well developed. The competition between France and Italy could have been uh, actually a, a, a positive, um, a positive uh, um, uh, stimulus for the EU to develop and build its foreign policy on the basis of the added value of the different countries. But in the end, what it did, what this competition created was a sort of stumbling block onto the broader European framework towards, towards Libya. At the same time, as I said, it's also a question of domestic audiences, domestic politics in both countries at a very crucial moment. And I think that the most acute phase of the competition, uh, and it's not uh, it's not my surprise, was in uh, 2018 and the beginning of 2019, uh, when we in Italy had a government which was very anti-France, uh, anti-Europe uh, government with the, the um, uh, Lega um, uh, party in uh, in power next to to the populist uh, Five Star Movement, and so things have changed to some extent uh, in Italy vis-a-vis uh, -vis France, vis-a-vis -vis Libya itself, with the coming to power of the current government uh, in August. And uh, I had the chance to look uh, at some um, data from a recent survey on the Italian public opinion with regard to the foreign policy, how, they, how the population see the foreign policy of the current government. And Libya and the management of the Libyan crisis, which is very much tied to the management of migration, uh, appears uh, to um, be uh, in more favorable uh, kind of uh, 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 viewpoints if in this government than in the previous one. So what I'm trying to say is that although it seemed in, during the previous government, which had this connotation of being anti-European, anti-migration, anti kind of uh, uh, Libya, I would say, uh, because uh, the, the, the solutions that were put on the table to try to solve the Libyan problems were uh, completely uh, uh, completely uh, wrong uh, from my viewpoint. Although that government seemed to have quite a, a big uh, support, it turned, turns out now that actually it did create a lot of damages uh, on the one hand, and also that uh, we are luckily been able to uh, overcome this phase and uh, to develop a better coordination also in the case of France. So what happened? 
uh, it's not just because uh, the, um, the, the the government in Italy has changed uh, its colors. Uh, it's not uh, because France uh, has has changed uh, sides. Uh, Libya uh, Libya uh, has of course uh, become uh, more more sidelined has been sidelined in the foreign policy of the two countries um, because of the lack of, of the European uh, framework. And the lack of the European framework is what has opened the door to Turkey and Russia to step in at the end of 2019. And let's be very, very frank. But this uh, lack of European framework has been dragging on for, for many years. And so uh, it's kind of a, a something that uh, um, has been in the making for, for, for some time. The EU has tried to made, make some attempts uh, to make up for this, uh, this uh, lack of uh, of, uh, of foreign common foreign policy, but uh, it's been taken hostage to some extent of the uh, Italian-French uh, uh, conflict and, uh, and the competition. So what has changed, uh, I think, is also the emergence of Germany as uh, uh, in the position of uh, leadership, uh, renewed leadership, both within the European um, kind of uh, project, also in economic terms, uh, particularly in this uh, very recent moment uh, fighting the coronavirus emergency, but also in foreign policy. So Germany made, uh, towards the end of 2019, an attempt to push uh, itself out from the sort of uh, uh, neutral and uh, quite uh, low uh, motion foreign policy that had characterized uh, German uh, policy making, uh, uh, foreign policy making for quite some time. Uh, it pushed, for example, for the uh, Berlin conference, which is still, to some extent, uh, is still providing the overall framework for any kind of negotiations. It seems that Turkey and Russia, for example, are also moving Onto, into the uh, uh, kind of uh, the continuation of the Berlin uh, process of the Berlin conference that uh, uh, was kicked off in mid-January this year. Uh, and so uh, having Germany in, on this, in the steering uh, seat has been uh, helpful for France and Italy to try to uh, mend a little bit their relationship. Um, what this all means for, uh, for the EU and for its policy towards Libya, I think we are still quite far from, uh, um, from the development of a fully-fledged uh, autonomous and uh, active foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis Libya. There are still many, many stumbling blocks. One of the, the signs um, and the, the proofs of this is the fact that the uh, latest um, naval uh, mission that has been decided and agreed upon by the European member states, the IRINI mission, that takes over the UNAV for Med Sofia uh, military maritime military mission uh, is really uh, some someone some people some people defines define it a, a fiction is something that has uh, has been voted and has been agreed upon as a really a minimum common denominator just to show uh, that Europe is not completely absent but uh, uh, has been criticized uh, very vigorously uh, both by the Libyans themselves because I mean it was not really uh, requested uh, and on the other side of course the member states still think that it will not achieve achieve anything and so they're not ready to put and to enforce it in a, in a meaningful uh, meaningful way uh, so this is the kind of the story 
the, the whole story of uh, Europeans uh, foreign policy uh, kind of deficiencies and uh, obstacles that have proved uh, very very uh, dangerous and very very problematic in the came in the case of uh, of Libya and of course there are many many parallels with other uh, cases uh, not just uh, in the Mediterranean but particularly in this uh, very important strategic uh, space for Europe one of which is of course Syria where you see a script going on which mirrors to some extent or actually Libyan file mirrors the, the, the Syrian file and so uh, we might ask ourselves how what and what lessons can we learn from the uh, Syrian um, situation and conflict how it has been dealt with by different external players that we cannot uh, uh, and should not uh, uh, repeat in the case of Libya thank you very much Thank you very much, Sylvia, for that comprehensive perspective on EU uh, uh, policy, but also for things on the ground. Maybe before I, uh, I ask, let me ask, me ask you my question, but wait for your answer. So I go back to uh, Dr. Ataman. I wanted to ask you when you talked about the fragmentation on the ground and there are all these alliances and uh, you, you made a very strong comment about Libya won't stay as one country. Um, is uh, we know what happens with other nation-building projects in the Middle East? Do you see any path towards Libya staying one country, one nation? Uh, with if GNA is successful somehow, both militarily but politically as well, do you see a path, or you feel like? uh given the involvement of so many outside actors it's just not going to be possible but it's going to be more fragmented under the influence of different powers uh dr ataman uh let me ask you my question uh about this recent offer by uh, egypt uh, for ceasefire and turkey as you know uh declined that um a, and GNA declined it, obviously, and for understandable reasons, I guess, uh, for, uh, you know, they have the momentum on their side. Uh, but were there other things that, that prevented Turkey and GNA from uh, accepting uh, that offer? Why did they decline it? And uh, my second part of that question is who who Turkey is working with in Libya? We've seen uh, Sylvia uh, indicated that Turkey and Russia have become the uh, main actors there, but are there Turkey's other partners on the ground um, in, in Libya? Uh, okay, thank you very much, Kadir, for the question. Uh, let me uh, uh, say that uh, the record of uh, Haftar is the biggest reason of the decline of the ceasefire, the declaration of the ceasefire by Haftar and Egypt. Because so far, Haftar and uh, its, uh, his uh, external backers uh, have been trying to solve the problem through military means only. They were uh, dedicated to the control of the whole country. Uh, he declared himself as the only uh, representative of the Libyan state and Libyan nations. Uh, he is the one who did not uh, uh, who, who did not abide by the declaration of ceasefires in Moscow 
uh, in the Sohairat political agreement uh, in Berlin, in Rome. You know, he is the one who left the first uh, all international platforms. So the biggest reason is his insistence on military means, uh, using military means, uh, with uh, considering no red line, you know, he targeted, as we all know, uh, the civilians, hospitals, uh, civilian areas, etc. So th the second one is uh, his uh, one of his main backers, uh, that is the United Arab Emirates, uh, and with its influence, Saudi Arabia and Egypt, they are not uh, in favor of uh, diplomatic negotiations either. Uh, and uh, so uh, together with all this, uh, naturally, uh, the GNA, they do not trust Haftar and they do not trust uh, uh, his uh, external backers. Okay, when it comes to the Turkish uh, position, I think there is no alliance on the Turkish side, unfortunately. Uh, we see that diplomatically, it's the United Nations and many other international platforms, they Decla uh, they declare uh, the GNA as the only legitimate actor of the Libyan state and the Libyan people. But when it comes to the ground, unfortunately, there is no uh, real support to Turkey. Uh, that is, Turkey remains, remains so far as the only uh, real, uh, vital, uh, and meaningful support for the GNA. You know, even Italy, you know, diplomatically, they, they, Italy supports Turkey, supports GNA, that is Turkish efforts, but uh, unlike Egypt and unlike Greece, uh, they are not uh, on the ground. You know, even Germany, you know, it's a kind of in, in between, you know, mainly supporting diplomatically, at, at least in uh, its political discourse, uh, it supports the GNA, but nobody is on the ground, unlike the United Arab Emirates, unlike Russia, France, etc. So uh, I believe Turkey is the only real backer uh, of the GNA, unfortunately. Dr. Ataman, actually you answered two questions from the audience. Uh, they were asking about the potential for Turkey and Libya to work together, cooperate on Libya. What are the chances of that? And what are the kind of interests, overlapping interests Italy and Turkey might have? that would kind of allow and foster that cooperation. These questions were directed to both of you. So Sylvia, you can uh, prepare to answer the, for that as well. Uh, Dr. Ataman, go ahead, please. Okay, uh, I think uh, you know, in the context of the EU, we see uh, a polarization when it comes to the, uh, the Libyan crisis. We see on the one hand, we have Italy, I mean, uh, which has been supporting the GNA. On the other hand, we have two uh, uh, strictly Haftar uh, supporters. That is Greece and France. Uh, so to me, there is an overlap uh, of interest uh, in, in Libya for Turkey and Italy. So, uh, you know, when it comes to the, for instance, to the oil sector, we know that the Italian companies are mainly uh, compete with the French uh, companies. So Turkey, in this case, can provide an atmosphere for the Italian com companies, that is the GNA, as the GNA backers, uh, to uh, take benefit of the, uh, of the Libyan oil sector. So, and uh, diplomatically also, 
both economically and diplomatically, politically, I see there is uh, an overlap for the two countries. Thank you, Dr. Ataman. Silvia, maybe you can comment on this Italy-Turkey question first before going back to my original question about nation building. Yes, uh, sure. Thank you very much. Um, well, I mean, uh, Turkey and Italy, uh, well, do, they do, of course, share a lot of uh, common interests uh, in the case of Libya, but uh, uh, I would say that uh, while Italy has uh, its own uh, uh, kind of set of partners in the country, uh, particularly in the western part in the GNA, uh, on the GNA side, and is very afraid of uh, losing uh, its ground, its connections, uh, and so would not uh, welcome uh, to abrupt shifts in the kind of uh, in the in the in the in the structure of power, so to say, of the of the GNA or the or of the uh, sides that uh, side that uh, Italy is more involved with. On the other uh, uh, side, it seems that Turkey is trying uh, uh, really to build these uh, new connections and to exploit them, particularly for economic uh, economic reasons, which is totally understandable. And uh, as uh, the previous speaker mentioned, it all boils down and goes back to the, um, the, the memorandum of understandings that were signed by the GNA and uh, Turkey in November last year. Uh, so uh, I don't think that Italy would have a problem in kind of sharing uh, is, uh, is economic uh, activities uh, or Libya's economic uh, kind of uh, uh, activities with uh, with the Turkey, uh, but the, here I think that the problem is not uh, really. I mean, it's it's not to jump uh, to this uh, economic aspect too quickly before having settled. I would say uh, the political situation and the divisions that persist across the country. So we cannot expect that uh, the divisions will go away just because one side, which is Haftar's side, is losing ground uh, tremendously. We know that the uh, Libyan, um, Libya will remain a fractured country, a very divided country, uh, in which econom econ the economy will uh, continue to play a, a negative role to some extent because one side risks uh, feeling uh, kind of uh, marginalized if we focus too much and exclusively on the Western side, which is the case of Turkey and Italy for, for, the, for the moment. So uh, it's probably preferable now to make a conversation, to start a conversation with those external players, UAE in particular, but, uh, and also Egypt in particular, I would say. Um, uh, so how, uh, how to bring in the other side as well and what kind of facilitation we can uh, provide it to, um, to, 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 to unify the country again and to heal some of its problems, which are very much linked to the societal uh, divisions and the political fractures that have grown over the years. And uh, so I, I would say that uh, Italy could, be, uh, uh, could have some cards in reaching out to Egypt, for example, at the moment, since Egypt sits on the other side, uh, let's say, of the divide, and to try to engage with Egypt and both of them as middle-sized powers in this uh, kind of uh, big conflict where you see Turkey, which is a big size, Russia is a big, as a big size, of course, Italy in Egypt, on the other side, could play this uh, kind of open some uh, break, uh, breakdown, um, open some, some uh, have some trans breaking role in trying to um, open a, a new uh, new f period of negotiations, for example, after this uh, uh, heightened conflictual uh, phase. 
and this is also linked to, to your question, Kadir, about the fragmentation of the country on the ground, which uh, it's, has, been, has been growing to the point that, as I was referring to, uh, some, of, uh, some, some people, some constituencies here and there, particularly, uh, for example, some businessmen who uh, from Eastern Libya had fled to the West, and now they are coming back with the, the consciousness that uh, after one year of conflict, it's very difficult for the two sides to heal the wounds and to uh, for them to continue their business or to, uh, to 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 remain united and so there is this federalist discourse of uh, a division or a partition of Libya which is uh, which is growing uh, day uh, after day so a uh, kind of discourse we are not so fit to live together and so what uh, I think that Libya has been uh, confronted with this issue with this problem with this question uh, many, many times before. I remember even in 2011, uh, immediately after the uh, fall of, of Gaddafi, that there was this question, will Libya remain a united country? And uh, of course, the, the answer of the Libyans has always been yes, we are a united country despite all our history. Um, I think that what preoccupies uh, the most, uh, um, uh, I mean, what, what, what is slightly changing now is that the fatigue after almost 10 years of conflict and the fact that the, the politicians on both sides are, have completely lost the trust of the population are pushing some people to question whether there is de facto a, a partition of the country or it could be a potential solution. I don't think it will be any solution to the conflict and more importantly I don't think that Turkey and Russia would accept this solution. They are in one way or another uh, struggling and uh, kind of um, coming to terms with one another in order to keep the country uh, united. A sort of division of labor, division of spheres of influence, so fragmentation, as, as you rightly said, without coming to this very uh, drastic solution. Thank you, Silvia. Uh, we have quite a few questions, and uh, for the sake of time, I want to go through them before I ask more questions and take more time. Uh, and I'll, I'll want uh, short answers if possible. Uh, thank you so much. I think this has been so far very comprehensive and great explaining all the different dynamics, both internally and externally. Uh, Dr. Ataman, uh, a question is on uh, Russia. Uh, is there an agreement, possibility for an agreement between Turkey and Russia? Uh, what are major conflict in views? Uh, would it be acceptable to Russia, for instance, GNA reaches and controls the oil crescent and Al Jafra base taken away from Haftar, for instance? Um, yes, go ahead. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, we can make a, a comparison uh, for the Russian uh, state, uh, comparison of uh, the Libyan crisis and the Syrian crisis. You know, when we look at the Syrian crisis, we see that the Russian state officially is there and it has been backing, uh, supporting the Assad regime, uh, especially since 2015. Uh, and uh, it officially declared that he has been supporting the Assad regime. But when it comes to Libya, the Russian state does not want to declare that it is in the Libyan crisis. It intervenes the Libyan crisis officially as, as a state. Therefore, for instance, it sent uh, you know, a, a private military companies uh, Wagner uh, to send its uh, mercenaries to there. Uh, it uh, painted its uh, uh, aircrafts 
uh, not to be seen as the official Russian aircraft. Uh, that is, uh, Russia is there indirectly. So the meaning of the Libyan crisis uh, is not the same uh, as, as the, Libyan, uh, the meaning of uh, this, the Syrian state for Russia. Uh, but still, I think there is no chance. Uh, it seems that at least for the short term, uh, no way for Turkey and Russia uh, to reach an agreement uh, in, in the Libyan crisis. Uh, we, we see that they are still there. They are still in the eastern part of uh, the country. They keep their mercenaries there. They keep, you know, as it was declared by the, uh, the, the United States military officials, uh, around 2,000 uh, mercenaries are still stationed in the eastern part of the country. On the other hand, uh, there are a kind of a dozen of uh, Russian aircraft still uh, stationed in the eastern part of Turkey and are ready for the use uh, by the Haftar uh, side. Uh, eastern and part on, of on, Libya, you meant? Yes, yes, the eastern part of uh, Libya, sorry. Uh, so, uh, looking from the Turkish side and Turkey, uh, you know, uh, values attach a great importance uh, to the maintenance, to the protection of the GNA government in Libya, when otherwise, uh, as I've mentioned earlier, uh, it will be quite harmful for both bilateral relations and the regional setting, the regional balance of power. So uh, Turkey cannot take uh, some steps back vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Libyan crisis. So I see uh, no uh, agreement, uh, at least uh, for the foreseeable future. Another question is on Egypt. Would you say it's the same thing with Egypt? Because the question says East, uh, exclusive economic zone, actually agreement between Libya and Turkey actually works for the benefit of Egypt. Uh, so do you, do you see that uh, as a potential rapprochement uh, possibility out of that overlapping interest? Or you think it's the same dynamic with Russia? Uh, I think the, the Egyptian case is quite different. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the Egyptian government, uh, if, uh, this is how I see it at least, uh, they have been following the footsteps of the United Arab Emirates and, this, and uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, for many reasons, uh, because of their backing the military coup in 2013. So uh, uh, in one sense, uh, Sisi uh, owes his, uh, his authority, his government to these two states. They were the main backers and they are still supporting the Egyptian government financially. Unfortunately, it is quite ironic, by the way, to see one of the two heavyweight Arab powers, which is Saudi Arabia and Egypt, uh, becoming the tail of the Emiratis. So it's quite shameful for the Egyptian government uh, to act uh, in this way. I think uh, this, my interpretation, Turkey is quite ready to initiate a rapprochement with the Egyptian government. But one of the preconditions is not to follow the, the, the pro-Emirati policies in the region overall. So if uh, Sisi government is ready to follow a more independent regional policy, I think Turkey is ready uh, to, to initiate this rapprochement process. As, uh, the, uh, as it is uh, mentioned in the question, uh, you know, signing the ex economic exclusive zone, you know, uh, they have, they have uh, reached an agreement with the uh, Greek Cypriots. 
which was unfavor of them. And the, the agreement signed with Libya, I mean, between Libya and the Turkish government, uh, naturally is in favor of Egypt. But again, ironically, Egypt, the Egyptian government uh, insistently rejects this and against its own interest, unfortunately. So I see a, I see a possibility uh, of rapprochement between Egypt and Turkey. But it's going to be difficult, you're saying. It will take um, time, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Sylvia, there is actually, I want to combine three questions. I think they're all interrelated. Uh, one is about uh, US-Russia potentially coming to an agreement on the Libyan issue. The other one is on the UN Security Council. Uh, does the Security Council have a role to play? Um, um, and of course, uh, EU's role um, in, in Security Council regarding the situation in Libya. And then there's also a specific question about uh, the US. Why is US hindering the process of appointing a special envoy of UN to Libya to replace Ghassan Salama? So, um, sort of, you know, UN, UN, EU, EU, we know uh, often aligns with, uh, with uh, the UN Security Council resolution. Has there been any, any movement there uh, diplomatically? I haven't seen much. Uh, my, sorry, I'm adding more to this, but I was going to ask you about NATO, right? You talked about EU's, you know, foreign policy not being clear and it's kind of, there are internal disagreements between uh, France and Italy, etc. How about the NATO angle, I was going to say. So I'm throwing quite a few things at you, but uh, how do you see US role, UN, and then NATO, these uh, internet multinational um, organizations having an impact on the situation or having a say in the situation in Libya? Well, thank you very much. These are very, uh, I mean, difficult questions and I'm not sure I have all the answers. Of course, I will just uh, say a few, a few words uh, uh, because they are all interrelated, of course. Uh, we are talking about uh, uh, the external powers who, uh, as part of different, different multi multilateral fora, uh, used to have uh, uh, the biggest uh, uh, biggest role in managing conflicts and uh, solving conflicts until until recently. But we know that uh, globally uh, now conflict resolution uh, is, is has been taking uh, different uh, uh, shapes and different formats uh, recently. And so we have a crisis of uh, trust and the deterioration of the role of the United Nations and in particular the Security Council uh, within it because it's totally blocked. I mean, the, the problem with the Security Council and the UN um, uh, at, at large is the fact that uh, uh, its ability uh, really to, uh, to put forth a, a solution uh, that are, uh, or, um, or, or, or uh, actions that are binding for its uh, members and that, that could really uh, make a breakthrough in the conflict uh, situations is really, really limited because of the uh, particularly US, Russia, uh, conflict at some points, but also I would say that the U.S.-China conflict, which is not uh, uh, directly linked to the Libyan conflict itself, because I mean, uh, but globally, of course, it does create a burden onto the UN ability, uh, particularly the Security Council's ability to play a role uh, there. 
So uh, there is a host of problems with the UN, uh, which we all know, but I think that the current uh, US-China uh, conflict that, uh, as I said, goes much uh, in broader uh, terms, uh, is what uh, um, is putting a, a lid onto the performance of this uh, crucial institution. And then, of course, on the European side, our performance also within the UN and the, the conflicts that you see on the European side also get get, get, get translated uh, at the UN level, although uh, luckily at the UN level we have been able in recent years to try to muster a more united uh, European position, which is again, it's a very, um, very limited common denominator, uh, minimum common denominator position of the European country, uh, countries, which is not going to make any, any break, uh, break, uh, breakthrough. But there is a, a broader question or a, 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 a question at, at, in, in, the, in the background that uh, I think um, has an impact on all of this. What is the uh, US policy vis-a-vis -vis Libya, if any? I mean, can we say that uh, the US is interested in Libya, is willing to play a role, is uh, has the, uh, the, the the potential to, uh, to 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 do that, or is totally taken by by other stuff? It seems that uh, the U.S. is not really there. It's uh, really looking from uh, kind of uh, from uh, be behind the curtains, um, and so. Uh, before talking about the possibility of U.S.-Russia coordination, it's really important to, to think of what the U.S. wants to achieve in the case of Libya. It sees as any role for, for, for itself. What I see in the case of the U.S. is that in, in one way or another, uh, they are not going to get uh, involved in this in this conflict. Uh, they didn't do that uh, during the most uh, tense fa uh, of the uh, phase of the conflict, uh, which is uh, the, the the year that is just behind us. And they are not going to do that. To do that, uh, they are looking at how uh, uh, Russia is positioning itself, of course. And let's not forget that uh, Russia is supporting the same side as. Uh, the UAE and Egypt, which are uh, uh, U.S. allies in, 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 clear, in clear ways. And Russia knows this very well. So in one way or another, the U.S. is present in the conflict, I think, because, I mean, behind the, UA, the UAE and behind um, uh, Egypt's uh, policies vis-a-vis -vis Libya, there is some level of information coordination with the U.S., I, I, I would say, particularly and for sure when it comes to Egypt, but I would say also of the Emirati, uh, say the same thing of the Emirati for obvious reasons, because of the importance of the Gulf uh, dimension of the US uh, foreign policy in, in the Middle East in general. And coming to NATO, well, NATO, again, suffers from the same uh, problems of the UN, which are even made more acute by the fact that Turkey, a NATO member, is a part of this conflict. At the same time, there is, of course, the, the tensions on the European uh, soil uh, with the uh, Cypriot uh, issue. So it's really uh, trying to remain outside of Libya, also because I don't think that time is ripe for NATO to go back to Libya in any form after what happened in 2011, because among Libyans themselves, it, uh, NATO's intervention is not necessarily seen in, in, good, uh, in good, uh, good eyes. And I think Thank I'll stop here. Thank you, Sylvia. Uh, Dr. Ataman, very quickly, uh, there's a question. There are two questions on France and Turkey. Basically, are there overlapping interests between the two countries and the current war of words between France and Turkey? Uh, how is that going to evolve 
very quickly, you have uh, okay. uh, 30 seconds to a minute at most. 30, Thank you. Okay. okay. That's fine. Uh, there is no overlap, unfortunately, between Turkey and uh, France in the Libyan crisis. Uh, last week, uh, the French uh, officials, they have declared Turkey as an aggressor uh, uh, in the Libyan crisis. Uh, and unfortunately, unfortunately, this, unfortunately, you know, this, uh, uh, this claim was made by an, a NATO ally uh, who has been supporting General Haftar, uh, whose main backer is Russia, okay? So I see quite ironic uh, when the United States has been supporting other Arab countries supporting Haftar. That means indirectly the United States has been supporting the Russian actor, not an American uh, proxy or actor uh, uh, on, on the ground. And one last thing, uh, you know, the, the, the image of Turkey is very negative in France. They have been anti-Turkish uh, in the Syrian crisis, and they have been working, as we all know, they were uh, buying and uh, having transactions with uh, uh, ISIS and other uh, non violent non-state actors, but still they continue uh, blaming Turkey for supporting a legitimate government in Libya. The decision which was made by France itself, that is, as a permanent member of the UN Security Council, they have supported uh, the decision. But when it comes to Turkey, I think most of the Western countries, including the United States, they do not want Libya to be put under the control or influence of Turkey. So that's why they have a dilemma in the Libyan crisis. Dr. Ataman, as I mentioned at the beginning, just two days ago, President Erdogan spoke to Trump on the President Trump on the phone, and they said that quote unquote they reached certain agreements, uh, but it wasn't clear on Libya. So on the one hand, there's the U.S. policy aligned with Russia and Egypt and UAE, but it, uh, Erdogan and Trump seem to have some sort of dialogue at least uh, about I, this. I think recently uh, it has uh, began to change. I mean, the UN, the US perspective, US policy. It has been changing. All right. Uh, one last thing, Sylvia. Uh, what, why is, well, I guess the age old question, why the US, US, sorry, EU cannot achieve consensus on Libya? Uh, I think you've already answered that question, but if you have anything to add, is is that because um, of COVID uh, that's causing the discord uh, among the EU members uh, or other things? That's the question. Well, I think that uh, there is a series. There are a series of uh, of reasons. But uh, on the one hand, uh, the EU uh, has faced uh, the Libyan crisis as its first crucial test. Uh, to its uh, common foreign policy uh, in 2011 when the crisis broke out. It was like uh, at the first, second year of having a common foreign security policy in the form of the European External Action Service that was meant to uh, really develop this uh, new uh, set of actions in, uh, in the foreign policy of the EU. So it was taken uh, by surprise and it was not prepared to do that at the moment, didn't have the instruments, didn't have the, uh, the, the kind of uh, the political willingness also to create uh, the, create a, a, a common ground among its members. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, the other set part of the reason is, of course, with the member states uh, themselves. So unless they uh, 
decided to leave some space for foreign policy to the to the EU uh, common position or common policies uh, the EU will not ever uh, make it uh, to the to play any meaningful uh, meaningful role uh, of course as I said at the beginning uh, differences and the differences of views among member states are can also be uh, positive things uh, provided that there is a common framework under which they can be kind of reconciled and uh, put at uh, as a common factor uh, in, in 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 a positive in a positive way in the case of libya uh, france and italy have not behaved like this for uh, as i tried to say also for the con um, domestic um, uh, reasons and uh, linked to uh, politics links to the very very poisoned um, atmosphere around the issue of, uh, of migration at a crucial moment uh, for the life uh, political life of these two countries let's hope that uh, with the new set of uh, European institutions uh, also coming out from the pandemic uh, with a renewed sense of uh, uh, being part uh, and being all on the same boat might push the EU towards uh, also uh, a new season in its common and foreign security policy also in the case of Libya Thank you very much. Uh, I, Silvia Colombo uh, from Rome, Dr. Mutin Ataman from Ankara. Uh, I think this has been such an in-depth, comprehensive discussion. Uh, and I want to thank you for explaining all the uh, complexities of the conflict, both internally, domestically, but also regionally, uh, uh, explaining to our audience what is at stake and what are the dynamics uh, ongoing. And I think uh, if you've taken anything away from this discussion, it's going to continue to be complex and messy, and we are going to probably hear more and more about uh, Libya with all the sort of uh, diverging interests of regional actors as well as global actors. Um, so I want to ask my audience to virtually thank our uh, uh, panelists uh, for this great discussion. Uh, thank you very much. We will hope to see you in future discussions again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.